Oh God, you know our hearts. No games here. What is, is, and you know. In advance of what we've even heard yet, we, we are asking that you will direct our attention to what needs attention. We are here in the name of Christ. We have been much in worship to this very moment. We're not stopping. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you believe this? There is a website that actually advertises and offers sexual affairs to those who are married. Of course, we'll do this for a little fee. Apparently. Now, I insert that word apparently so that you know I have never been to this website, all right? So, so. <laughs> apparently. I read it in the newspaper. That's why I know. Apparently, the website's homepage features a picture, as Leonard Pitts puts it in his syndicated column from out of Miami, features a picture of a ubiquitous brunette counseling discretion with an index finger to her pouty lips. Also on the website, it boasts an affair guarantee program through which, here's a quote, through which you are promised a refund if you can't find a suitable partner to cheat with. No kidding. No kidding. And they describe their customers as, quote, free-thinking people who choose to engage in fully lawful online activities, end quote. Their tagline is, life is short, have an affair. The only reason we know about this is because hackers hacked into their website last summer and exposed by publishing a list of their 32 million customers. Yep. Men and women, young and not so young, who believe the line, life is short, have an affair. Included in that list of customers was a gentleman named John Gibson. Leonard Pitts describes him. Let me read it to you. He was a married father of two, a pastor, and a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He is said to have loved fixing cars and, have had, and to have had an oddball laugh. In photos, he and his wife, Christy, and their two kids come across as a goofy, fun-loving bunch. Pictures of them radiate joy. Christy Gibson came home August 24 to find her husband dead of suicide. You see... His name was on that list. In his note, says his wife, he expressed profound remorse. What we know about him, she told CNN, is that he poured his life into other people and he offered grace and mercy and forgiveness to everyone else, but somehow he couldn't extend that to himself. Life is short. Have an affair. As it turns out, the first half of that tagline was true. John Gibson was 56 years old. 
Every time you and I come back from going down to South Bend, we have to cross the uh, Indiana-Michigan border. Isn't that right? And every single... uh, Highway 31. And every single time we cross the border, there it is in huge blue letters, pure Michigan. Huh? I mean, come on. Who are you kidding? You talking about Michigan? We all live in Michigan. Pure Michigan? You got to be kidding me. You don't know the secrets in our hearts. Once upon a time, there was a man, a capital M man, not because he was from Michigan. No, the capital M man was from Nazareth. No pure Nazareth signs on the streets entering that city. Notorious. The scuttlebutt around town is, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But apparently someone very good and very pure came out of Nazareth and lived to be in stories like this. Once upon a time, Jesus was attending a dinner thrown in his honor by a rather wealthy Pharisee named Simon. Simon had been healed by leprosy, healed of leprosy by Jesus. And so as an expression of his gratitude, he pulls off one of those, wish I had an invitation to that kind of banquet. And everybody who was anybody in town was there. The dinner has begun. And the sounds of silver cutlery clinking softly against the fine bone china punctuated with laughter and chatter, zigzagging back and forth across a heavy laden table of entrees and vegetables as far as the eye can see. Sometime during that scrumptious feast, a woman of the night tiptoed into the dominantly male boisterous gathering. If you were a local, you recognized her especially if you were a male. She was the town whore, a very attractive woman who prostituted her innocence and her beauty for a bit of income. Somewhere along the way, she met this capital M man, Jesus of Nazareth, Any conversation between them was so private, we have not a whisper of that conversation. But it is apparent from the quiet glow that radiates from her face tonight that he has changed her life. Pure Jesus. Big change. No more impurity within. Forgiven. She's a pure woman now. And even as Simon has thrown this banquet in honor of Jesus, even so this woman crashes the party also in gratitude to this same Jesus. And before anyone can hiss, get out of here, woman, she reaches into the folds of her garment and she pulls out a container of nard, perfume from the petals grown at the foot of the Himalayas. Before anyone could stop her, she has broken the container open and begins, as she stifles her sobs, begins to drip the perfume along with her tears on the feet of this man, feet reclined from behind. 
And as she sobs, she finally, she's a prostitute. She finally lowers her head, loosens the tresses of her hair, and begins to wipe his feet, the perfume and the tears, as she kisses the feet. That's how a prostitute says thank you. Jesus finally feels something down there, turns around, and even beyond the aroma of dinner, he picks up the scent. He turns around, sees her, smiles a look of recognition, and says, You're welcome. But not so the Pharisee Simon. I want you to see how Simon responds. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. You didn't bring a Bible? Pull that pew Bible out. You've got to see this. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up in verse 39. I'm in the NIV here. And when the Pharisee, that would be Simon, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered, isn't that something? It's as if they were in conversation already. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. Okay. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, one denarii a day's labor for a common labor. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, Simon, which one of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and there's not a sound in the room but the voice of Jesus now as he turns toward the woman at his feet. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? The whole room is staring at her. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. By the way, Desire of Ages pulls the veil aside, strips it aside, and says, Simon was the one who led this woman into sin in the, first, the very first time. Why has Simon not showing great love? Because he's not been forgiven. And why has he not been forgiven? Because he has not asked. That's why. No love. Cold heart. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow, did you catch that? This woman is forgiven. Sexual impurity gone, cleansed forever. Go in peace. Pure Michigan. Pure Jesus. How pure this Jesus? Grab your study guide and let's fill it out. Some rather astounding declarations of Scripture. You got to see this. You got a study guide in your worship bulletin? You should. Pull it out. Let's go. You didn't get a study guide? Here come our friendly ushers your way. Hold your hand up. You're going to want this one in the balcony. 
Yep, there they are. Hold your hand up. Let's go. And by the way, let me put this on the screen. Those of you watching, streaming right now or you're watching on a television set somewhere on this planet, glad to have you. By the way, this is the first time I can announce this. Here's the website that you go to, www.newperceptions. This is the New Perceptions telecast. You go to newperceptions.tv. Go to that website. You'll find a, a little series called Charmed into Righteousness. This teaching is entitled The Purest Life. When you, when you click on The Purest Life, you'll see the study guide embedded right there waiting for you now. Pure Jesus. How pure? Let's go. Got your pen? First, let's, let's, let's consider the testimony of the Bible. The Bible has testimony about Jesus. You betcha. In fact, you're not even going to have to look at the screen because I'm going to read these to you and we're going to go that fast. Here we go. First Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Jesus committed no sin, write it in, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Pure Jesus. Keep going. First John 3, 5. In him there is no sin. Pure Jesus. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. He was holy, blameless, undefiled, not a spot on him, undefiled, separated from, from sinners. Pure Jesus. That's the Bible testimony about him. Guess what? Jesus, Jesus has testimony about himself. Jot him down. Jesus speaking to a crowd in John chapter 8, verse 46. Which one of you in the crowd convicts me of sin? All right, step forward. You've ever seen me sin? You step forward. You tell the story. Be my guest. Nobody, nobody breathed the word. Here's another time. This is just before his execution, the night before he is crucified. John 14, verse 30. The prince of this world, that would be Satan. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. Not even a hangnail on one of his fingers has, has caught my garment. He has no hold, zero, not a nothing, nothing in me. <laughs> the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of Jesus, now the testimony of Desire Ages. Jot these down, will you? Sentences from that classic on the life of Jesus. Here's one. He was the embodiment of purity, an example of spotless integrity. Spotless. Here's another one. People could not appreciate the purity of Jesus' spirit upon which there was no stain of sin. No stain. Now I want to run three lines by you that show how Christ was personally impacted, living in the cesspool of sin. Nazareth, the cesspool of sin. Hanging around, Heinz 57, variety sinners like you and me, the cesspool of sin. Here's how it, here's how it felt inside of him. Jot this one down. As one with us, Jesus must bear the burden of our guilt. The sinless one must feel the shame of sin. The peace lover must dwell with strife. The truth must abide with falsehood. Purity with vileness. Every sin, every discord, every defiling lust that transgression had brought was torture. Write it down. Was torture to his spirit. Hey, let me ask you a question. Hit the pause button right there. Let me ask you a question. Would you, would you use the word torture to describe hanging around sin for you and me? Are you kidding? It's not torture. It's entertainment. We download it by the gigabytes onto our devices so that we can watch. Oh, yeah, this is art imitating reality. That's what we're saying. Hey, this is nothing. Yeah, they're killing each other, but come on, that's just all fake. Yeah, they're sleeping together. She's being raped, but so? I mean, this is all. Just, this is how I enjoy a Saturday night. You got a problem with this? 
We don't call it torture. We entertain ourselves with it. How do you suppose Jesus, do you think he'd be downloading gigabytes of that stuff onto his devices and say, what am I going to do tonight? Come over to my room. Can you imagine Christ? Do you know why? Because he knows that these are demons. These are demons who have taught the human race how to behave as animals. That's why. And every time they do this, even art imitating reality, it is spitting in the face of the creator. Do you think he finds joy? That's entertainment. You want to spend Saturday night spitting in God's face? You can't believe it. Of course he wouldn't watch it. No spot. Pure Jesus. Maybe that's our problem. Why it's so easy to be impure? Because we live in a world saturated with the cesspool. And we're comfortable with it. And we go to the cesspool for entertainment. Tell me that one. Can you believe it? All of us. Here's another line from Desire of Ages. His spirit of stainless purity shrank from the spectacle. Wouldn't that be something? If we came, if something popped up on the computer screen and we actually shrank from it. Something in a dark, dark corner somewhere, we shrank from it. Some, some smutty joke in a circle of buddies, we, sh- we actually shrank. Stop that. One more. Desire of Ages, speaking on the night of, he, was in, he is on trial right now. Christ suffered keenly under abuse and insult. And he suffered in proportion to the perfection of his holiness and his hatred of sin. To be surrounded by human beings under the control of Satan was revolting to him. Write that word down. I want you to catch it. Revolting. Revolting to him. You want to know what's revolting to me? Glad you asked. I'll tell you. Sticking my hand into a toilet bowl to retrieve an object I find very revolting. In my book, you have to want that object very dearly to stick your hands into an empty toilet bowl. And if the bowl is filled with what belongs in a toilet bowl, you can have it. I'm not going back for it. Nobody likes keeping company with fecal matter. Do we? No, we don't. For the stainless, spotless pure son of God hanging around with sinners was revolting and tortured to his spirit and thus he shrank back from it and yet hold on hold on hold on get this but because his love for the lost rebel race is so strong he agrees to plunge into the sewer head first if that's what it'll take to save this race and he came down to our cesspool and live next door. Isn't that something? You'd have to love somebody pretty much to go into a cesspool to save them. But speaking of the contents of a toilet bowl, the only way I can handle such fecal matter is if it's in the diaper of someone I love. <laughs> have I told you about my granddaughter, Ella? Oh, I probably have. Look it. I love my granddaughter, Ella. So in my mind, she doesn't have fecal matter. We call it poop. <laughs> What's wrong with poop? What's wrong with poop? You can handle poop. It's fecal matter that I can't stand. When it's somebody you love, and by the way, little Ella's daddy, I have changed Kirk's diapers many, many times without the gag reflex taking over. If it were your diapers, adios. 
You see, it's the mindset that makes the difference. It's the same poop. The wretches under the control of Satan who spat on Jesus' face during his trial created a revolting moment of revulsion for the pure Son of God. And listen, listen. And yet, when his, when his friend Peter falls under the same control of the same Satan for a few desperate moments, that same night Jesus can look on Peter with mournful love. No retching now. Why? Because there's a difference. Oh, sure. He loved his enemies out of principle, but oh my, how he loves you and me out of passionate love for who we long to be, what we can be, what we pray to be. You are no stranger to God. You know that impurity that changed you like a ball and metal links? You are no stranger to God, and he has already set in motion a way to set you free. He loves you too much. He loves you. doesn't matter to him the chain. He loves me. Pure Michigan, pure Jesus, but pure me? Yep. One passage. I want you to look at this. First, first John, very end of your Bible. First John, just before Revelation. First John, unbelievable. Take a look at this. These words are in your Bible. First John chapter 3. Get a feel for this. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, I love verse 1. By the way, I, in my humble opinion, the, the New International Version has best rendered verse 1 of any translation around. So I've got the NIV right here. First John 3, verse 1. See what? Great love the Father has lavished. I love that word. Has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And by the way, that's not someday. No, no, no. He's calling us that right now. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Not manana. Not, not years down the road. That you, you get your act together, then you'll be one of my favorite children. No, no. Right now, you're his child. See what love he's lavished on you and me. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I mean, how could you not love back a being who has gone to the depths of the cesspool of this rebellion out of love to pull us out. How could you not love him? <laughs> Verse 2. Verse 2. Dear friends, now, John's really wanting us to get this. This is, this is old man John. Now, this isn't John Boy. This is John Boy that's become old man John. Dear friends, now are we the children of God and what we will be. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now we are, but don't, Jesus takes us as we are, you bet. Good news of the gospel. He takes us as we are, but the, the good news of the gospel also is he does not leave us just as we are. He'll take us that way, but he won't leave us that way. And that's John's point right here. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. God's not finished with me. Is he finished with you? Probably not. So hold on. It will be made known. One day it'll click. You'll say, ah. But we know, keep reading, but we know that when Christ appears, 
You see, this is the great Advent hope. See that window over my head, the rose window? This is the great Advent hope. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Something happened along the way. We got charmed into righteousness, and God just kept changing us, changing us, changing us. And when we finally see him, boom, he says, you're, you're just like him. Paul says it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, making the same point. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. When Jesus comes, that's not talking about just the bodies, by the way. That's talking about our very spirit, our very selves. We'll all be changed just like that. You know what? That's good news. That's good news for, that's good news for somebody like you, somebody like me. We struggle. Day in and day out, we struggle. Do you struggle too? I mean, just day in and day out, just a constant battle. But the good news is, what you, look, you just stay with me. You just stay with me. And when I return, the final, what got left, I'll finish it. Don't worry, I will finish what I started. Oh, good, you say. That's a great idea. If God's going to change me on the day of Jesus' return, then I'll just go ahead and keep on singing that old song. And until then, I'll go on sinning. No. Sounds like Oscar Wilde, who upon hearing the, of the gospel's good news about God's great forgiveness, Os- Oscar Wilde, you put the words on the screen, please. This is a great idea. I love sinning. God loves forgiving. Wonderful arrangement. <laughs> What's not to like? I get washed up right at the end. No. Sorry, Oscar. Not so fast. Because when you realize that it's your own sin, when you realize your sins cost the death of the most loving being in the, in the universe, why would you go on spitting in his face every day? Why would you do that? You would want to stop that because he loves you so deeply. Wow. And then there's verse 3. One more. All who have this hope, the hope of Jesus' return, all who have this hope in him, our hope is in him, not in ourselves, but watch this. This is a verb. All who have this hope, all purify themselves. The verb says we do it. All purify themselves just as he is pure. Apparently, you don't just sit back in the the gospel and say, lay it on me, Jesus, take care. Apparently, he calls you into partnership. How serious boy are you about this pure business? Want to know what the practical, step, practical steps are that you can, you can purify yourself as John describes it here? Jot them down. All of these, by the way, these lines I'm going to share with you now are all from the, the little book, Steps to Christ. Here we go. Jot them down, please. Number one, if you long to be set free from impurity... Get this, recognize this longing as the voice of God to your soul, end quote, end quote. Recognize, it's God's voice. Some of you here are longing to be set free. Addiction, it doesn't matter, you're longing. That's God. God says, that's the great first step. You, you're ready to go? Let's go. All right, number two, jot it down. Ask God to give you repentance, to reveal Christ to you in his infinite love, in his perfect purity. All of these lines from Steps to Christ. Tell you what, you pull the gospel out every morning, every morning, you get alone with Jesus, just one little story a day, 
you watch Jesus and ask God to reveal him to you in his perfect purity, guess what? God will reveal, will reveal Christ, the pure Jesus, in places you never knew before. I found one of those places this week. Okay, so it's John 8, John 8, which is the woman taken in adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet. You remember the story? John 8. By the way, where's the man? Where's the man? You can't have adultery with just the woman. Where is the man? But they left the man out. It's a, it's a setup. One author I was reading this week says, you know what? This is probably the scenario. She was stripped to her waist. This young woman was stripped to her waist and made to stand in front of this capital M man in the crowd. And there Jesus is, looking at her. Now, I imagine Jesus is just as much a red-blooded male as you and I are if you're a male. Huh? He's looking. But his communion with God has so fired up his heart, so protected his mind that he can stand there and not lust all over her. He's looking at her as a child of God that needs salvation. Unmoved. You watch pure Jesus in the Gospels. What we behold, we become. I like the way Ev tells children's stories. Let's repeat that out loud together. What we behold, we become. Oh, you didn't hear me like Ev would say. Let's do that again, out loud together. What we behold, we become. It's the law of the universe. Go to Jesus. Number three, jot it down, please. Seek for the purity of heart that is in harmony with the law of God and the character of Christ. God's ten precepts for human happiness, the Ten Commandments, they're a wall to protect us. Hey, so those of you from Brazil, Karen and I, as you remember, were down in Brazil uh, back in May last year. So they wanted to take us out to see this beautiful wild canyon, and there they were, signs posted in English and Portuguese, danger, do not get any closer to the edge. That's what the law of God is. It's a huge sign. The seventh commandment is about sexual impurity. It's a huge sign. Danger. Don't get any closer here. Stay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Don't get any closer to the edge. It's to protect us. And by the way, the law is a picture of Jesus in words. It's his character. Number four, jot it down. Do not put off the work of forsaking your sins and seeking purity of heart through Jesus. Don't put it off. No mananas when it comes to fleeing sexual impurity. Cut it off. Your right hand offends you, gone. Your eye offends you, take your eye out. What's he saying? Act now. Don't just sit there and say, oh, please, I'm so, I'm so helpless, I'm so weak. No, take action. Don't put it off. We need to have the... This is Margaret Thatcher. Some, some guy was once accosting her somehow and put uh, Margaret Thatcher's words on the screen, challenging that woman leader. Sir, she replied to him, sir, I have done battle every single day of my life. Don't you talk to me about fighting. Well, that's the same testimony we ought, to, we ought to offer up. I have done battle every single day of my life. Peter Hubbard writes, put his words on the screen, we are not fighting a physical war. But a spiritual one, Sinclair Ferguson, he's quoting him, explains, what then is this killing of sin? It is the constant battle against sin which we fight daily, the refusal to, lie the, to allow the eye to wander, the mind to contemplate, the affections to run after anything which will draw us from Christ, end quote. That's from Hubbard's book, Love and Delight, The Gospel, The Homosexual, and The Church. Number five. Jesus desires to restore you to himself to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. 
Number six, the less we see to esteem in ourselves, the more we shall see to esteem in the infinite purity and loveliness of our Savior. And finally, number seven, Christ in his purity and holiness, Christ in his matchless love, this is the subject for the soul's contemplation. It is by loving him, copying him. What you behold, you become. You copy Jesus. Jesus says, just follow me, copy me. Go ahead, copy me. It is by loving him, copying him, depending wholly upon him that you are to be transformed into his likeness. Pure Jesus, oh God, let me become like my Savior. Pure Jesus. How did John put it here? All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Pure Michigan, pure Jesus, pure me. You see, that's God's promise. I'll take those sewer rags that you've been wearing a lot lately. I'll take those sewer rags and I'm going to take, throw them away. And I'm going to surround you with a white, spotless, stainless robe of Jesus' perfect purity. And when I see you, I see pure Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. But I must say in closing, you know what breaks my heart? This breaks my heart. Thinking about that Baptist pastor and professor in in the opening story who was so overwhelmed by his guilt, so shamed by his sin, that when the hackers published his name, took his own life. I said, somehow he forgot that someone had already taken his shame and borne his guilt and paid his penalty so that he could live. He forgot that there was someone in this universe who has promised the deep cleansing of his lavish love. I'll clean, I'll clean you. I promise to. In fact, it's right here. Chapter 1 of this book. Put it on the screen. One line. 1 John 1, verse 7, how does it go? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Not just sexual sin. No, 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 no. All sin, because some of you are saying, hey, man, sex, this sex thing is no problem to me. All sin. The sin of impurity and every other sin washed away by his purifying, cleansing blood. If you want. And that's the key. If you want. Pure Jesus, pure you, pure me. If we want, if we ask, let us pray. Oh God, we ask, we ask, we ask. Please, get us out. Get us out of that pool. Strip our rags. Pure Jesus, that spotless, stainless robe, please, wrap it around us. We shiver in our nakedness, but wrap it around us and then draw us to you. Pure Jesus, pure us. Because the blood of the Lamb washes as pure as the wind-driven snow 
for which we say thank you. Amen.